The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, welcome once again to Podcast Beyond, episode 659. I am Max Scoville, filling in for Jonathan Dornbush, who's having a lovely vacation. And it's been a cool minute since I hosted the show, so just bear with me. Joining me right now are my good friends, Brian Altano. Hello, Beyond. Beyond. And Tom Marks. Hello. Hey, how are you? How are you, how are you all doing? <laughs> good. Great, good. yeah. Good, good. Pretty, I mean, yeah. It's a, I don't know what this is. There's no not... good way to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, no. It's real. been a. It's been a. It's been a year. Um, it's no, fine. Video little, games are keeping yeah. me sane. I'll put it that yeah. way. No, I'm glad that there are still video games. I'm actually pretty excited. We got the PlayStation Plus games for August, and they are good ones. I think uh, it is yep. Call of Duty: Modern Warfare 2: The Campaign Remastered, but more importantly, Fall Guys: Ultimate Knockout, which is a battle royale game that's sort of like rooted in weird japanese game shows and you play as these little like bean people and it's just i we brian you and i played this at, at uh e3 last year and we loved yeah. it right we we were like crying laughing um it feels it 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 feels a little battle royally and a little smash brothers y and also um kind of a little double finey you know those are bad ways to describe things it's putting the letter Y at the end of other words. But um, yeah, we had a blast with it. And I think that um, this is going to be, I don't, I don't know necessarily know if this will be at the levels of something like rocket league in terms of like being introduced on PS plus and then reaching tremendously gigantic audiences. Um, but I think it could get close. Uh, this, this game is already one of the top, if not the top streaming game in the world right now uh, on multiple platforms, which is kind of incredible because it's beating out, you know, games that have been in that are, you know, big, serious games that have been in development for a long time that have like lore, you know, no, I'm, and, I'm glad you're not the only one. I'm not the only one who made the, the Rocket League connection, because like that was the first thing that came to mind where like that is a game that probably would have. I mean, it's a good game, but I think it would have floundered if it hadn't had like a really big foot in the door to get people involved with playing this kind of weird idea for a multiplayer game. And with Fall Guys, like it is, you know, a. a a battle royale or like a, you know, it is it is a battle royale right like you're yeah you're yeah like they, they call it that yeah but mm -hmm. it, it requires enough people to play it for it to really be properly silly like it's not just like populating a lobby of you know 10 people it's got to be like 100 little people out there falling yeah. all over which way the lobbies they did a technical beta test this last weekend and uh that's what that's what it hit that huge streaming spike um, and the lobbies, I think, are at 60 people. I played a few hours of it, and it's definitely a fun game. But I agree that the PS Plus sort of, like, 
angle is like the first time that I was really like, oh, this could get bigger, bigger, because I think this game is going to thrive off of novelty in a really, really real way. And like the developers have all these plans that are like, we're going to do, we're going to add new mini games and we're going to update it. We're going to add randomization. We're going to add all this stuff. They've got a ton of plans, but like if it's the game, it's a type of game that runs the risk of like you play it for a weekend and then never go back to it. But if you're getting it free on PS plus and they're adding stuff like totally come back to this game. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Um, no, totally. I, I was gonna say, and, and we've we've seen obviously the the sort of the chase to be the next top performing battle royal game, and for every five that have succeeded, five hundred have failed. And the thing is, video games take a long time to develop, so it's it's difficult to sort of chase trends when it comes to stuff like that because you can have your thing ready just in time for the trend to be over. But I think this one adds enough like weird, goofy newness to the table. um, And it doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think that's what helped something like rocket league and Fortnite thrive. And and that they became this sort of blank canvas for wacky ideas and creativity. Uh, There were Sony announced in May that there was something like 42 million PlayStation plus subscribers. And so 42 million people are going to get this game for free. And even if, a, a fraction of them download it and play it opening weekend. Like that's a huge influx of people trying this game out for the first time. So it's super cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I just like, you mentioned this, there's so many, like there's a veritable battle Royale of battle Royale games out there, <laughs> but most of them are about trying to be really good at the game. Like they're about survival of the fittest. And this is like kind of about like everyone kind of sucks. Like you can, you can win. <laughs> But there's this like level of chaos that I really adore, which I think I think Rocket League kind of had going for it too. And obviously, a lot of people got stupidly good at that game uh, against all odds, and were like doing car flips and knocking the ball around every which way. But like, I I kind of love the sort of like the WarioWare kind of chaos element to this, where it's just you, maybe you win by accident, you know? Yeah, it, like I I brought up Smash Brothers before, which is. Um, not an entirely fair comparison because Smash Brothers is a game um, where in the professional sense, almost all of the randomization has been completely whittled off um, <laughs> to create something that is hyper-focused on specific parameters, uh, almost specifically the same, a similar group of characters, final destination, no items. Um, Fall Guys is different because uh, it, it sort of thrives in its chaos in the way the levels will decide to just suddenly totally screw you over and that's part of the fun to it um and i think like fortnite has a little bit of that element um but even that is such a controlled experience like you're watching that fog of war closing around you uh but for the most part like you run to get your weapons you have a grab like all of that 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 is all about preparation and then execution fall guys is just they just drop you in and it's this you know madness uh and it's really really funny and i i implore all of you with playstation plus uh, even those of you that don't check this game out because it's I think it's, it's I think it might be the next big esport. I'm into it. No, I yeah. mean there's that there's that classic thing of like you know easy to learn, difficult to master, which I would say Fortnite is, and so then something like this seems more like difficult to learn and absurd to master. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, another one that was that did this really well was Duck Game, which was like a wonderful just nonsense party game where like you know it would just like have a random level where like the entire floor is made of balloons and the only weapon is knives. And you just be like, well, everyone dies now. Like, ha yeah. the joke is I on mean, you. <laughs> you never hear anyone say that wasn't fair. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. It's, got, I'm, it's I'm, got some of the same appeal as like gang beasts in that way. Yes, too. definitely. Yeah. I mean, gang beasts with like 
60 people playing at once, which is that's <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think we need a little bit of a little bit of chaos and absurdity. Uh, so in other news, speaking of colorful cartoon characters coming to PlayStation 4, we got a nice surprise this morning that Cuphead is out now on PlayStation 4. This uh, this game that was uh, originally on Xbox One, wonderful kind of uh, classic sort of 1930s hand-drawn, uh, punishing-as-hell platformer, uh, which has since been, that's been put on Switch, and was, is that on, did they talk about putting that on Tesla? On did Tesla. I dream that? Yeah. So it, it came to a car before coming to PlayStation. Yeah, that's a it's a really expensive car though. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a yeah, that's weird. Anyway, <laughs> uh what are you, what are your guys' thoughts on on Cuphead? Uh I uh, mean, it it's hard to be anti-Cuphead, I feel like. It, that game is just so charming, right? I mean, that, that that's one of the things that I I think is so impressive about Cuphead and stays impressive even after, you know, however many years it's been out is the way that game looks is unlike any other video game ever right it is so incredible in the way that it recreated 1930s sort of cartoon that cartoon aesthetic in the audio in the look in the character design the movement they like everything is so spot on and it it means that that game is going to be timeless whether it's you know a few years after it's come out like now or you know we're going to be looking at cuphead in 20 years and going man that game still looks incredible right yep and and as a result like it can come out kind of as a surprise on ps4 and just be like oh this is still really exciting that people who haven't been able to play this are gonna get their butt handed to them by a mean flower in this game again like it's it's yeah no i i dig this game i think my my apprehension with it is that it is fundamentally more of a shmup than it is a platformer Mm. like it's it's more of a bullet hell and i love bullet hells but it's like when i sit down ready to play a platformer even like a brutally difficult one there's a mindset that goes into that and with this game it's really less about sort of like jumping over pits and more about memorizing bullet patterns um so yeah, if just like if if you're if, for the uninitiated who skipped this because it you know hasn't come to PlayStation yet, uh, this game's awesome. It's just go in knowing that it's not really like a Super Meat Boy style twitchy oh, platformer yeah. and and more of a bullet hell. Um, but I think you'll dig it. It's got some, if you're it's got some Mega Man in there too, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, that's that's the thing, right? Is that it's a boss rush game, but then it's got these platforming sections. But the platforming sections are. A, really uncommon, like there aren't that many of them in the game, and B, they are as hard as the bosses, right? Like they are these brutal, brutal challenges just in a sort of different form. So I totally know what you're talking about, Brian. It's not really like a platformer platformer. It's mm-hmm. just a, it's, it's a side-scrolling, or it's like a platformer bullet hell in like a, it's a weird fusion of those. But yeah. Still, so, so I agree, you gotta be, you kind of have to go into it with the right mindset or you run the risk of that thing where you go in. It's totally not what you're expecting. It kicks your butt and you're just like, I'm done with this. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I mean, when I first saw screenshots for it, I was like, wow, what a what a brilliant art art direction. Like, this is so cool. And then I was also kind of like, I don't want to look at it anymore because like I, I want to actually play this game running mm-hmm. on my TV, you know, like and like it, it looks like one of those like weird warped old like Mary Melody cartoons. Um and then once I actually played it, I was like, oh, this is this is not really much of a like Super Mario Brothers hop and bop. Um, but I still dig it for sure. Yeah, it's it's one of those games that brings me back to being like a little kid and just, you know, sucking at a game, but really wanting to like it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't I haven't really given Cuphead like a fair like a fair shake on my own. But I know that I'm just like I I'm not like I'm not a am not good at, at really like carefully timed rhythm stuff, whether that be platforming or rhythm games or 
you know, bullet hell. Like there's, I like, I like when there's that margin of like kind of creative gameplay, I guess, which is, it's more about like trying to like, you know, navigate a very tight window of, uh, success but i think they uh, added i think they added some like easy mode stuff to this game for people who just want to see how beautiful it is and mm -hmm. not get totally punished um, <laughs> yeah i might mess with that i was going to try to play it on tesla but i don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon um yeah anyway uh speaking of difficulty in games ghost of tsushima got a new patch uh i believe late last night or early yesterday morning something like that it is patch yep. 1.05 which brings a new lethal difficulty to the game as well as some accessibility options that will lower the intensity of combat so if you are uh you know not super uh, uh, akin to doing carefully timed dodges and whatnot and you just want to enjoy this beautiful samurai world that's an option and if you're a glutton for punishment and want to get stabbed in the head more often that also does that so that's mm -hmm. uh that's good news. One of the one of the good things they did here too in terms of accessibility was they upped the um percentage of the font size in everything to 150% if, you know, you have an option for that now. Um that was that was like really really difficult to read even like on a on a big TV and I have you know perfectly fine vision. Uh I mean I wear glasses here and there but um <laughs> Yeah, like that's that was one of the things I saw some people tweeting about, and I'm really glad they changed that. Uh, in terms of like accessibility, I think The Last of Us Two still has it beat this year, but the fact that this game has only been out for a few weeks and they're already doing this is really nice. Uh, there's also different uh, color emblems you can decide for subtitles as well, uh, so to kind of work with colorblindness. Um, I like that this has already become a living, breathing thing for them. They're going to keep adding stuff to it. I'd, I'd like to see them add like a new game plus down the line. Um, the thing I've seen a lot of people requesting, uh, which I totally agree with, is a sort of Far Cry style system that will let you um, reboot all of the bases um, that you have to, you know, the sort of Mongol mm -hmm. forts that you take over. Because those are so much fun. And I love clearing those out. And I would totally jump back in and play a bunch with like different parameters or something or you know, it, it, like those little sort of like micro challenges they gave you with those, like kill an enemy from above or like, you know, mm. kill three people without being seen. Uh, just like cycling through those at random and throwing that'd those. Be fun. Yeah. That'd be really fun. So I'd like to see that. Cause like, to be honest, I, I don't think we're going to see another soccer punch game for like five, six years of the absolute earliest. Maybe we'll see like a miles Morales style, like spinoff DLC thing for, for ghost. But, um, uh, you know, in the next three or four years, but I, I think these guys take their time, but they have something awesome here and I really enjoyed it. I played it for 60, 60 hours and I'd love to go back and do more. And so, yeah, um, more accessibility stuff and more new game plus stuff, more, let, let me, let me read reboot the forts. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm still chipping away at it. I just got to little ways into act three this morning. Um, I had to do, so I had a stupid, I don't think I've been on the show since I had, I did this. I was on like a, a sponsored day one launch live stream for it. And they were like very specific of like when in the game they wanted us to be playing. They were like, don't, don't go too far. Maybe just start when you first get out in the open world. And like, I was already probably, you know, a dozen hours past that. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll just make a new save. And I proceeded to save over my own file, which was first of all, annoying. Uh, cause then I had to go and redo a bunch of stuff and unlock a bunch of points, but then jumping back into early, like an early part of that game when you've already got a, gotten accustomed to having like your sort of existing tool set of like your attacks and everything is just like, it's like playing with one hand tied behind your back. 
And I was just <laughs> yeah. like, I was hitting buttons that didn't do anything because I forgotten that I hadn't like unlocked that. And it's like, I feel like when that game really ramps up, the combat is like, is so much fun. And when you get like, when you really like learn how to just like, when you know what you're doing in an outpost, you've got all your like gizmos and gadgets and you're ready to just like, you know, stealth your way in and then just get loud when you feel like it. It's great. And then, but it's like having that suddenly stripped away is like, ah, crap, I forgot how to do anything, which is, you know, like a new game plus would be fun for that to kind of go Mm -hmm. back to those earlier parts that were, and just do them totally differently. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe let us skip cutscenes if we've already beaten the game. Yeah, that was, that was definitely a big thing that bothered me. It's also, I don't know. I'm, I'm, there's such a, there's such a totally like uh, antithesis of, of just being like, Hey, it's a huge open world game. You can go and explore and be isolated and on your own, but also like do do not interrupt someone while they're talking. Like you got to follow them on the, on this nature walk. It's rude. I will yeah, say too, uh, if you if you missed it last week, uh, or if you're waiting to watch it because you haven't finished the game yet, friendly uh, reminder that uh, Jonathan Dornbush and I interviewed Jason Connell, the art and creative director on the game, and we got to really dig into like a bunch of super geeky making of stuff, which is like my favorite thing in the world to talk about. Um, just like stuff that you know almost made the cut in the game, and uh, stuff that was scrapped from very early on. Um, a bunch of weird ideas they like. Uh, why they went back and forth on lock on and stuff like that. Uh, just super, super cool stuff. How they came up with the whole wind concept. Like, yeah. One of my, one of my honestly favorite, like sort of like behind the scenes style interviews we've done in a while here on beyond. So go check that out. Bookmark it when you're uh, done with the game. Cause it's a little no, that's, spoilery. That's so cool. Like one of the, one of the worst things about, I, I guess this, this field, this job that we do is that so often we interview people before the thing they're making is out. And we don't get a chance to actually talk about it, knowing what it is. And it's like, you know, we'll be interviewing, you know, uh, somebody about their movie that you haven't seen yet or the game that isn't out yet or that people haven't beaten yet. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's so much more interesting to like pick something apart and be like, yeah, I got a question. Why'd you do that? And they're like, here's why we did that. And this is, you know, so I'm I'm so happy uh, you guys got to do that. Longtime fans of Beyond will appreciate that uh, one of Jason's favorite games on PlayStation is Bloodborne. So Bloodborne's a good game. More it's people should game. play Bloodborne. <laughs> just felt like I uh, say, should say that. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, I. This is weird. Um, Ghost of Tsushima is definitely like giving me some some Red Dead vibes, which is, makes sense because it's a very you know filmic samurai game, and the whole Kurosawa spaghetti western connection is um, you know prevalent. Uh, and I've been sort of almost tempted to go back into Red Dead, and they have made an update to online that actually definitely makes me want to go back into Red Dead, which is called the Naturalist Update which has a bunch of just exotic animals roaming the land and you team up with like this uh, science person and they have you going with like a tranquilizer gun and shooting the animals, making them go to sleep. And then you take their blood and then you use the blood to make all sorts of tonics and you can get like weight loss tonics or weight gain tonics. If you just want to like do weird stuff to your body, a la San Andreas, I guess. Uh, we're here we're in that we're getting into that into those deep waters where rockstar gets weird with their with their big ass games a couple months i after love launch. it i love or that they do launch. this is like uh, one step short of like witcher tonics right in red dead mm-hmm. where it's like oh you got to take down that grizzly bear and then you'll get bear claws when you drink its blood like we're like maybe a few yeah. months away from that it, it was like all the peyote animal tripping stuff from gta where like they're like you can be a monkey now in your dreams like I love that so much because they were like, it's a gritty crime story. And a couple months later, they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. That's not even, that's like not even touching cars. what they were. Sorry, go ahead. I said, now there's like flying cars in that game. I know. Yeah. yeah. The stuff, and I mean, Tron the stuff that's happened in, like, I hope that they dip into like 
hypothetical machinery of the of the like start making like Jules Verde airships or like you know penny farthing bicycles like that would be so so much fun in that uh, and I could I could also see them doing it. It's especially interesting with Red Dead Online too because when they did that with Red Dead Redemption one with the zombie DLC that they made and then. like you try to think about what that dlc looks like in the modern day with red dead 2 because red dead redemption 1 didn't have like this red dead online sort of uh like base that then gta 5 made so so successful with gta online and now red dead has red dead online and so now something like that zombie dlc would find its home in Red Dead Online as an update or as like a paid thing rather than like a single player DLC. Right. So now we're going to get weird things like zombie updates just in online, probably, right? Mm-hmm. Like eventually they're going to hit that. We did like, I think we did one Let's Play in Red Dead Online that I don't even know if it ever went up, but it was just us like having, we were like wrestling on a roof and like lassoing each other and just being incredibly stupid with it. It was when it had sort of like first launched, I think. And I don't know, I kind of want to jump back in there because like I just that that world is is so cool when you're kind of like on your own schedule. I think I kind of soured myself on the main game by trying to like burn through it too fast as I'm mm-hmm. prone to do. But this is so in addition to the, the um, Marie, who is the sort of uh, or no Harriet Davenport, who is the she's the scientist who's trying to she's like i want to protect these animals but also can you go get bring me their blood there's also a big game hunter named gus mcmillan who will pay a generous fee for the pelts of the rare animals but you have like a kind of ethical dilemma of like do i shoot the animals and kill them and take the pelt or do i go and take their blood and in in a a very a much kinder way um but there's also yeah right like why not just do play both sides of the field there but there's also uh They've added a little bit of Pokemon in the Red Dead. There's an animal field guide where you can basically go around and document all the animals you've seen. And they've added a bunch of like new legendary animals. And there's also uh, there is a an advanced camera, which I, I feel like that game does that game have like a proper photo mode? I don't think it yeah. does. Does it? Yeah. Did they add I that? It does. Yeah. yeah, I know they. I know they gave you like an old timey camera where if you like yeah. if you lined it up and it wasn't at night, you could take a blurry photo of yourself. But like. I think that's what I, I think that's the I think that's the photo mode. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh, the wait, same no, way I they, think yeah, there's a, there's a there's a full on photo mode in this game. Oh damn. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, that shows what I know. But yeah, like I don't know. I love that. I it love is that a like, it is a PC exclusive feature. Oh well, that yeah. So that's why I never saw it. But uh, yeah, that would be that would be kind of right. That's first of all, it's such a gorgeous game. It should have that. But I do love that they're like yeah. There's a you just do ye old Pokemon Snap. You can just wander the the realm and just like take pictures of animals. I don't know. I just appreciate that it's like. Yeah, this was a cowboy game when it started out, but now it can be like a just a you're just a, a naturalist. We were start we started talking about this. There's a there's a YouTube video from Sonny Evans, which is called Can You Walk a Bowl of Stew Across the Map in Red Dead Redemption 2? <laughs> and it is one of my favorite things that anyone's done with a video game in probably like five years. Um But yeah, Tom, basically this this these two guys were like they figured out that as a challenge like if you 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 can carry a bowl of stew around and you just pull it out in red dead online but it's very easy to spill it and they were like let's see if we can walk it all the way across that gigantic map and so they started taking on these challenges and they realized that there's all these weird like metaphysical stew problems where like if you reach a certain point the stew just vanishes and so it's (laughs) these like these two buddies on this like ridiculous journey to try to carry the stew and it's just I don't know. It just will pop out. There's random strangers that might bump into you. And if they bump into you, you drop the stew. And like, yeah, it's a whole thing. 
you, like if you touch if you touch a cactus, you just like fall over and like you get the stew <laughs> everywhere, and it's just like that. And the the pu- you guys know about the puke thing? No. So people figured out there's like a tonic you can drink that makes you puke on the spot, but they figured out that if you do it on the top of a bridge and then fall off the bridge, Ooh, the puke makes will like act a like a bungee. Yeah, it makes yes. like a puke rope. Because, <laughs> because like the in the video game logic, that that puke you were vomiting to that one spot on the bridge, and if you jump off the bridge, it's gonna it has this like physical elasticity to it. So you just you just like barf your like Spider Man barf. Like you we just, have a lot of videos out. to send you, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> seriously geez so i don't know yeah that's that's the kind of stuff that makes me want to jump back into red dead online these this is also the kind of things where like you think about the job of a qa tester and any time anytime somebody's like how did they miss that bug how could they is like well you didn't really expect someone to puke and then jump off a bridge did you (laughs) (laughs) i love that so much This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So while we're on the subject of uh, things people are doing in games that came out a whole long time ago, uh, there I have some great news, guys. Um, nuclear disarmament has finally happened on the PlayStation 3 version of Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. Um, if you recall, like there was... Legitimately? Legitimately. Okay. Not, not like accidentally because there were too many nukes as what happened previously. There was So if you're unfamiliar, there was a whole arms race in that game where players would basically give them the opportunity whether or not they wanted to generate nuclear weapons on their own respective mother bases or if they wanted to disarm them or whatever. And the whole idea being that there was the secret cutscene that would only play if everybody who was playing the game got rid of their nukes. So if everyone just completely got rid of the nukes entirely, uh, and of course that basically w- w- didn't happen for a cool minute. Actually, uh, this, this cutscene I think rolled by accident a few years ago, uh, because there were too many nukes on the server and it like rolled over to zero or like it basically like oh. they overloaded it or something, which is just like the it, real world. Yeah. It's like the opposite. It was like a nuclear winter type of thing, but, uh, players on PlayStation <laughs> three, which I'm guessing probably had the smaller, smallest player base of or maybe just the most the most active still in that corner but uh mm, probably they, both <laughs> yeah they, they did it they they did it they got it they got the nukes all gone and this this cutscene rolled authentically for real and uh yeah so that's one of those weird little kojima things that like it took uh all what is that that game came out almost five years Almost wow. like f- five years to do this to do this thing in an online game. I, I don't know. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good, good thing me, to reminds celebrate. Reminds me of the Nobi the Nobi Boy ending, right? Where yep. they had to like play a certain amount to get like Nobi Nobi Boy all the way to Pluto and back. And by the time that they actually did it, Pluto wasn't a planet anymore, or something like that. <laughs> it was something really sad like that. I remember that. Yeah, that's I love, that's the- I love when devs do that when they put these just far away stretch goal sort of things of you know what maybe this will never happen or maybe the community will do it 10 years from now if everything is still working out like i think i think that's great i mean that's what i'm that's what i was really hoping for with death stranding and i feel like so much of the core gameplay was kind of hinged on that but it didn't it was it was kind of more straightforward i guess Mm. like i don't i haven't really seen any any strange like like I haven't seen that community digging into that game and finding any like surprising, shocking Kojima-esque secrets, which right. I was really I was hoping we would follow sort of following, you know, stuff like Phantom Pain and uh and PT. Um but yeah, speaking of PT, uh there was a bit of a, a bit of a kerfuffle. There was some news flying around with an interview with uh the sort of legendary uh horror manga artist Junji Ito, who at one point was attached to working on on PT or Silent Hills. Uh and he said in an interview uh that he was he, he Let's let me get the phrasing of this right. Um, but before you get excited, it, they did an update and basically, no, he's not. He's not working with Kojima. There was a, there was a. He made an offhand comment that, of course, everybody blew out of proportion and got very excited about the idea of them working together on a new horror game, which Kojima has said he he wants to, you know, work on for his next game probably. But yeah, there was all those. Um, he was like Kojima wrapped on Death Stranding, and uh, I believe the PC announcement happened. And then he started sort of doing his Kojima thing where he was vaguely tweeting out like movies and stuff, but a lot of them were horror, but it was also him being like, horror is so spooky. I'm so scared of all these spooky horrors. (laughs) I can't wait to make something spooky horror. And I've been on like a massive Junji Ito kick this year. I think I've like literally read every single one of his compendiums this year because it's a bleak year and why not? Um, And so this is 
this sucks. <laughs> like I was super excited about that. His exact quote is uh, uh, from Junji Ito. He says, in a past interview, I said casually that I received an offer from Mr. Kojima, but in reality, it was a remark made at a party where he said, if there's an opportunity, I may ask for your help. I apologize to Mr. Kojima and to all the fans to whom I have may have given false hope. Yeah, dude, that's me. That's I'm super bummed about that. Um, I love Kojima. I wasn't crazy about Death Stranding. I loved the art direction of it. I love the world. I think just the moment to moment didn't really grab me as much as I wanted it to. Um, but I appreciate that it was doing its own thing for sure. Uh, but him going full horror. I mean, Death Stranding is the result of Silent Hills uh, spinning off into you know the 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 the, the failed. Kojima experiments, uh, Konami experiments that then all collapsed. And so from the ashes of that, we got Death Stranding. And I would like to see from the ashes of that bring us an actual survival horror game. Um, I think he was really onto something there. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I mean, I would just love to see Junji Ito working on a, a game. I think he has worked on a game, maybe, or like bits and pieces, but really just getting like the Silent Hills was so almost that. Like, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if they were like, if Kojima was like, Hey, my next project is horror. We've got Junji Ito drawing some horrifying toilet monsters that you're, I have do have some good news for you though. Cause uh, if you're a big fan of Junji Ito and seeing his creations come into the live action form, he's working on something for Quibi. Where all the stuff you love goes to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You know um, Quibi? Yeah. Could we, why do we always have to talk about Quibi? <laughs> I don't want to talk about Quibi. I would rather this was just a, any, literally anything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, Not talking about yeah, Quibi so anymore. I don't even know how to segue to this, but uh, here's a here's a weird one. We've all been sort of talking about the next Call of Duty game and how it's probably going to be another Black Ops and maybe about the Cold War because of the sort of hints that have been found in Warzone. And then we got a big fat reveal in the form of a bag of Doritos where the logo... For Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War has been shown on the bag of Doritos where you can unlock double XP for a year. So was it really that big fat of a reveal if the bag was fat, but it was 80% air? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, that's so your your chips don't get crushed, okay? It's, that's, <laughs> this is, I, I love about this. Yeah, sure. That's, 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 that's their bank accounts don't get crushed. The uh what's hilarious about this franchise is that like there's always that moment at the beginning where they're like we consulted real war veterans and soldiers and stuff like that but then like doritos is or mountain dew is always the one that leaks the actual game but yeah and this got in as max kind of mentioned briefly this got there was a leak that cold war was maybe gonna be it from some call of duty leaker back in may i think it was and during at that time Eurogamer sort of reported that they had heard similar things from sources essentially confirming the leak from their sources although we still don't have official confirmation so you know don't don't take anything as as gospel at this point um i think the back of a bag of doritos is potentially the easiest thing in the world to fake but also we don't really have a reason to think it is fake (laughs) um yeah the most sort of like interesting nugget that came out of this most interesting cheese dust covered <laughs> nugget, um, is that the promotion was supposed to start supposedly this promotion on the doritos bag is supposed to start on october 5th 
and end on January 31st. And if you look at the previous Call of Duty games Dorito promotion, because this is the world we live in, it started <laughs> on October 1st, and then the game came out later late that October. So there's you can draw conclusions if you think this thing is real that probably we're looking at another late October Call of Duty release. But again... You- that is you, sort of like saying you mean to tell me come up tomorrow you mean to tell me they're gonna put out a call of duty game this holiday season i mean it's a guess it's a guess that's all i'm saying yeah, yeah. no i mean i just think it's always funny when like yeah no like obviously they're gonna make another assassin's creed or another call of duty but it's always funny when it like shows up and it's like hey uh somebody uh left this box of keychains open on the floor and we saw the name of the new assassin's creed or like oh this person on the flight next to me had their laptop open or hey these doritos spoiled a secret <laughs> like it i don't sounds know like you just made three things up but those are all true they're all real yeah 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 that's that's <laughs> i mean assassin's creed I, for I, a, for th- the fact that that's a series about like secret covert societies and it's every <laughs> practically every game has been spoiled in like increasingly absurd fashions is just mm, beautiful Yeah, even the new one got leaked right yep yeah what did that get always and people weren't even getting on planes you know what yeah. i mean do you hear what Leaked I called? Leaked from home. <laughs> I, I said we should stop calling game links game leaks leaks and just start calling them Ubisoft launches. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I like that. Um, nice. Nice. I, I I don't have I don't have a a, a dog in this race because I don't really <laughs> care. But um, or I don't have a chip in this bag. But uh, I I I do I do want to put it, put it out there before this goes on to become the first or second best selling game of 2020. The <laughs> Call of Duty. Black Ops Cold War is a stupid name for a video game. The whole point of the Cold War is that there was no war. I don't understand how they're going to have a Call of Duty game in the Cold War. But Black Ops Cold War, it just sounds like Paul Blart Mall Cop or something like that. It's just like four short, dumb words glued together to make one longer thing. I would I would rather play Call of Duty Paul Blart Mall Cop, but... That's I hope they do. I hope they do an entire Doritos map. I hope they sh- finally show us what's going on in that cooler ranch. Mm-hmm. I think that's. Uh, I want to. Yeah. That said, though, that. like like I said, my opinion is worthless because this game will sell 11 million copies, and oh, it'll yeah. be one one of the best selling. Ne- this will be the first, you know, premier next generation Call of Duty game. It doesn't matter what you call it. Literally, nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that silence was just like yeah, yeah. no I, I don't know that's sort of it like people people who like get mad or argue about like call of duty or whatever like there's always this like weird you know back and forth about what all oh, the newest one they ruined this and then it just sells like incredibly well and it's kind of like what do you do like what are you gonna mm-hmm. do about it? it's just it's um so yeah call of duty continues to come out and other video games continue to get Canceled before they even get announced or officially whatever. Um, our pal Jason Schreier, who does all sorts of you know deep dive muckraking in the world of uh, games journalism, uh, did a whole thing on how Call of Duty deep dive muckrake. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they nerfed the muckraker. That was my favorite <laughs> AR. Um, the anyway. legend himself, a muckraker. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Ubisoft was apparently uh, working on a King Arthur game uh, that was going to be. Uh, helmed by uh, Mike Laidlaw, who was known for being one of the uh, main designers of the Dragon Age video game series. And I guess he got scooped up by Ubisoft in uh, late 2018 or so, and everyone sort of was wondering what he was working on. And then I think he just 
went his separate ways. But um, according to later, yeah, yeah, he left a year later, and nobody knew why. And it was very sort of like, this is okay, sure, Mm -hmm. that's weird. Yeah, according to Schreier's story, uh, Serge Haskowit, I'm saying that name probably wrong, uh, who is one of the sort of uh, chief creative officer at Ubisoft, who you know calls shots on big stuff like that, uh, allegedly pulled the plug um, on what would have been a King Arthur, uh, a King Arthur game. Which, what's your like? What's your internal barometer on on King Arthur, Tom? I mean, I don't have like my the most loved King Arthur thing is like the sword in the stone animated movie from Disney years ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I think it's an interesting sort of like not very well explored territory in terms of video games, right? Like you haven't really, you had tons of fantasy games, obviously, but like that myth and that sort of story specifically. And I know, you know, myth, I'm using that term loosely, however you want. Um, like hasn't really been explored so i think it would be an interesting there's definitely like fertile ground there it's a really interesting report from shire out of bloomberg too just like in the way that it sort of talks about it that this guy who canceled it basically had oversight on like what what the report is saying is that supposedly he basically had oversight on every game ubisoft makes and the reason you might think that ubisoft games in recent years all feel similar is because they were all going through one dude and he was canceling the ones that seemed too different is basically what it alleges. Um, you also got after this Bloomberg report came out, some Ubisoft developers or other people quote tweeting Jason Schreier being like, Hey, I worked on this. It was a real bummer when it got canceled. Right. So there was clearly like excitement for it within the team. And also if this story is true, then that's, probably why Mike Laidlaw left, right, is because the game he was working on got canned. Um, So it's, yeah, it's like a really weird sort of, it's a very, like, it's a very relevant story in the context of what's happening at Ubisoft right now, where they're taking really hard looks at both their leadership and the calls that they've been making and also the diversity of their games and the diversity of their editorial team in terms of, like, what different types of experiences they're making and representing. And so, yeah, it's just like a very fascinating thing to hear about. Yeah. I mean, we'd be remiss to not mention that this, this is like a video game related news story that came, uh, what is from essentially the fallout from the sexual assault allegation stuff that's happening over there right now, which is, is deep and disturbing and involves dozens of people. Uh, if not more. And so, uh, yeah, we are getting little details like, oh, you know, Assassin's Creed almost had a only female playable character until someone said no. And, oh, they canceled this King Arthur game. But the bigger picture here is that, you know, there was a lot of sort of systemic sexual uh, assault and uh, and, and basically um, sexism happening at Ubisoft as a whole. Um, not saying every single person was involved, obviously. You know, we, all of us have worked with uh, men and women at that company who, you know, are are good people from what we know. Uh, but yeah, keep like understand that when you're when you're reading these stories that this is this is something that kind of spun out from a lot of you know people talking in unison. Um, but yeah, it 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 does seem like uh, at this company and a lot of other companies there were sort of like very toxic people at the top that not only enabled bad behavior um, from uh, people underneath them internally, but also halted. Um, sort of creativity and experimentation within game development itself. And so you're not only holding people back, uh, you know, 
socially and 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 uh, assaulting them sexually uh you're also you know punishing them creatively and i think that created a, a very toxic and uh and also stagnant uh, workplace for a very long time there. And I, I really hope that's something they can pull out of because they're a massive global studio with hundreds of people working there. And they have some phenomenal artists and animators and actors yeah, and actresses a, and writers. It's a uh, huge yeah. company. Like it's, I think it's very easy to sort of look at, you know, the handful of games they put out every year and be like, oh, this, this crap again, same old. And it's like, that's made by like thousands of people. You know, it's, yep. it's very hard to sort of pinpoint like where that comes from. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's uh, it's also very easy to look at a, a few sentences describing a game that almost was and be like, that sounds like it would have been awesome. And it's like, well, right. You know, it could have been a complete wreck, too. But uh, it regardless is interesting to hear about it. Um, yeah, the game would have yeah. been called Avalon. And they said it would have been sort of similar to uh, Monster Hunter. Yeah, co-op um, multiplayer King Arthur RPG inspired heavily by Monster Hunter is what sure tweeted at one point, which is like wild to think about because a i'm a huge monster hunter fan so yeah that like what even would a medieval king arthur monster hunter game look like like going out and slaying dragons like i i mean maybe like that that gets me sort of like i mean that that kind of tantalizes my brain because I, I i'm kind of wondering what kind of like bizarre creatures could they go with in a setting like that um yeah like I've I've never been the biggest fan of the King Arthur stuff. I feel like a lot of it's a little too sort of polished and valiant for mm-hmm. um for you know an era where everybody probably smelled bad and was pretty dirty. <laughs> and so <laughs> well it's like a, it's a weird one because it like we haven't really seen it in video game form. We've seen like mm-hmm. all sorts of kind of royalty free fantasy and and medieval, you know, Western fantasy stuff. But King Arthur is one of those I don't even if he knows it counts as a franchise. It's basically just a it's a old enough concept or, or myth that you can pretty much do it royalty free. And like in the last, what, in the last five years, we got the King Arthur movie where it was, it was, I think was it Guy Ritchie who did that? It was like yeah. a weird, like modernized version. And there's also the kid who would be King, which was uh, the guy who did attack the block doing this kind of, you know, kids interpretation of it. And it's, I don't know, like I, I, it's it kind of up there with sort of like, you know, Tarzan or, uh, robin hood where it's like you can you can make these but do people does it resonate like do people go for it or is it sort of too you know too old and dusty to really Mm -hmm. you know get that get that reaction i do think there's something there i think that like i think a developer will tackle that at some point and figure out what it looks like i'm not super interested in like multiplayer rpg stuff um but if if that could have been an idea for a game i could have soloed and it was a little from softy um in terms of you know, armor and, and enemy well, see, there you go. You're making, you're making up what the, what the game would have been based on like a handful of sentences, you know, and it's, it's fun to imagine that it's fun to think yeah. like what that could have been. It could have also just been like, uh, like a kind of copy paste monster hunter knockoff with just different, you know, art direction, but right. And that's, that's, I think I might've said this on the show last week, even is that like for every one game you hear about that got canceled, there's, you know, a dozen more you didn't. Right. And there's a dozen canceled games that we have know nothing about and don't necessarily want or need. And there's no reason to put the one we did hear about on a pedestal necessarily. I think with this one specifically, it's like you you bring in this this, you know, talent video game designer right. who has a great pedigree and sort of saddle him for a year and then let him and then he he leaves. Like that I think that's a- 
huge disappointment. Yeah, all. like that's that's the bummer to me about this story because, like, yeah, like obviously in development, they're they're throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And there's, you know, I've read so many stories of devs, like heartbreaking stories of devs who have pitched games to studios using an IP that the studio owns and being like, "Hey, here is your mock Metroid game," you know, and then Nintendo goes, "No thanks," or like, you know, "Hey Sony, here's." You know, here's here's a version of Ape Escape that we want to do. And someone's like, no, thanks. Like, that's mm-hmm. a bummer to hear about that. Well, it's, um, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's the same. I would I would say with movies where like, you know, these are you know, you look at games or big budget movies where like this is entertainment and this is art, but it's also a business and that they cost so much money to make that if they're not, you know, if they don't if they don't return what was put into them, it's it's, uh, you know, cataclysmic for a company. And I think yeah. that there's you know, extremely rigid, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or like, don't, you know, don't color outside the lines. Like don't, you know, don't spend millions of dollars experimenting and trying something that isn't like proven to work. And like, you look at sort of, uh, you know, Ubisoft games have that kind of, oh, it's an open world game where you, you maybe climb some sort of tower to unlock sections of the map. And then you go do main story missions, but also optional outposts or like you find collectibles. And it's like, these are things that have sort of been it's demonstrated that they that they work and the games that have them in there sell millions of copies and it's like why would you you know why would you throw that why would you throw that out you know why would you why would you try something completely new yeah uh, but but the thing that bugs me at least is that ubisoft sort of in right they they sort of acknowledged that 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 has limitations with it. when they took a year off assassin's creed and they came back with origins and it was so so different and mm-hmm. it got such a positive reception and that was in 2017 i think so well, the, like, the thing that happened since then was they put out, you know, they put out Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands, which was like a huge hit. People loved yeah. that. And then they were like, OK, and now we're back with Breakpoint, which just was like a a huge flop, like just yeah. a complete like that completely just. Yeah. And it was and it seemed like they were really trying to just, I, I, I guess, do things right from this from the get go. Like they the way they announced it seemed really transparent and really community driven. But I think they just. There was, I mean, a lot of microtransactions and stuff in there and a lot of just kind of a, a, a loot grind that didn't, you know, wasn't supported by a, a, a game, I, I think. Like, I, I wasn't yeah. super close in on that. But yeah, it's- I, th- I think what's interesting, too, is that like we if you look at the sales of Ghost of Tsushima, it's the fastest selling new IP on PlayStation. And I think it, it absolutely sort of revisits a lot of the original roots of what made us love Assassin's Creed to begin with and builds upon them in a completely new direction. Um, But it is like quintessentially kind of old school Assassin's Creed in a lot of ways. And I really dig it for that. And people love that game right now. And I think that like that really shows that there's, there's a testament to revisiting that concept. And I think with Ubisoft specifically, they ran it into the ground. um, And there were, I mean, there were some years where we were getting like multiple Assassin's Creed games. Like the year we got, you know, what was it, three? And then also a, a, a new one on Vita. Like, there were, you know, side stories and mobile games and handheld games and comics. And this. All, it was just like kind of this oversaturation. And the issue, too, was that it, so much of it connected back to this concurrent lore that took place in the modern times that the audience was, I want to say, divisive on. It seems like every time you talk to people about it, they're like, keep the animus crap out of here. Um, and then they made a bad movie that was just like, they were like, we're going to put as much animus in there as we can. Are you right, guys? And we're like, no. Um, <laughs> and so I think that like <clears throat> there was franchise fatigue with that. But I, I don't think that the core concept of what it's like to explore a world like that is something that we're tired of. And I think Ghost of Tsushima is a good example of taking that, revitalizing it, 
stripping away the parts that people don't necessarily care too much about and making it a special event again. I think that we're already going to start to see fatigue on the new iteration of Assassin's Creed. We're now in the sort of third model of it. And I think if they put out another one next year, that's going to be, you know, we're going to have four sort of structurally similar new Assassin's Creed games that frankly kind of uh, shoo away from the, you know, that the feeling of being an assassin again, because instead you're running around with like a level 75 axe. Like it's, it's just, it's sort of changed. So Um, I had a weird, a weird revelation, like literally woke me up in the middle of the night and had me sit upright. No, it wasn't. It was actually a far cry revelation. Uh, (laughs) um, But no, I, so it hit me that there's the first like Far Cry Three. I love that game. I adore it. I just rebought it uh, when it was on sale a couple weeks ago, and just jumped back into it. Just was like, this is great. I don't know what it is. I like about it. Uh, and it hit me that the the new one is the first one, if you count Blood Dragon, the first one since Blood Dragon or since Far Cry Three that's just set on an island. And something mm. about that just seems so much more like it's a stupid like it's a, it's a it's a stupid comparison to draw. Like it's very simple, but the idea of I think just the world being consolidated on this on one landmass as opposed to being like oh you're in a valley and there's mountains on the side and you can't go up them it's just sort of like why you know what that's a really good way of putting it especially i mean they did that in the in far cry 5 with montana they did it in primal they did it in four with the himalayas but they're essentially creating invisible polygonal walls around the player um Whereas in Far Cry, there's a Far Cry Three. There's a narrative excuse, which is if you go too far, you'll drown. But what I like about Far Cry Three is that you have that massive, like, uh, stru- you know, that l- massive space to play to play in this huge playground. But there's also all these little like inlets and islands all over the place, and they're just pocketed. And there's maybe like one treasure on them. Like it sort of feels like Wind Waker with guns. You know, I kind of yeah, yeah. take that. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I'm, I'm. I, I say this with most Far Cries, where I'm like, oh, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I'm. I really didn't like five. Like, I don't know what it was about it. It just, maybe it's the fact that it's just, you know, in America rooted in American quasi politics, but not really just at a time when that's not what I want to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, For me, and- it was, it, it, it's, it was like too grounded in its setting of like, it, it played by the rules of what is available in Montana. Mm. And that's, not super interesting outside of like a like you don't you don't necessarily get the spectrum of flora and fauna in a situation like that like i think mac you and i were talking like oh maybe if there's like a like some insane and this is long before like tiger king aired but we're like what if there was like this insane guy that like lives there and he has like a like a like a cocaine zoo or something you yeah know? Like, why not and they all broke out but or, or we were like oh you know uh there's a lot of dinosaur bones buried in montana right and the de- devs were like yeah there sure are but um we're not digging them up <laughs> i was like come on put, the dinos- put, put dinosaurs in far cry for god's sake just do it right uh yeah i don't know like i'm i'm kind of i'm interested in in valhalla like I, i'm just like i haven't really i haven't played an assassin's creed i played a bit of origins but i've been kind of like you know a skip the generator or skip that installment there so i'm kind of like yeah i could jump back in there and like far cry i've been like sort of like lukewarm on in general but i like love that series when it really clicks and i'm just i'm hoping so much that this next one like does the trick but yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean there you go like I mean, what's that what is that secret sauce to make that to make a multi-million dollar quasi-formulaic installment in a long-running series have enough that's different that it makes it interesting but enough of the same stuff that it sells you know, the allotted number of units by Q4 or whatever. Yeah, yep, that's and what Halo is trying to figure out right now. <laughs> and in the context of out of this King Arthur thing, there's 
that is coming out now. Like all of these series, the, the one thing I'm looking forward to for the future of Ubisoft is like Ubisoft, you know, like them, hate them, dislike their games, whatever. They're really good at making games, right? They are a world-class studio that does really impressive things with massive teams, whether you like the end product necessarily or think it's too samey or whatever. Like they are, they are well-oiled, right? And I hearing things like this King Arthur thing and seeing sort of like the outcry from people about it justified or not um, from like fans, I'm excited to see what a little bit of a kick in the butt in terms of like Ubisoft, you got to take more risks. You've got to diversify what you're doing in terms of the experiences and how they change and how they're different from each other. Like I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. Not necessarily saying, okay, it's going to be a slam dunk. Everything they're going to make is going to be innovative and perfect. But like, I'm just interested to see what a huge, huge studio like that is going to do after this kind of like much needed cleanup. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's the, what the difficult thing about working about like a game studio of that size is that uh, you, you, you often have these sort of staggered releases in development concurrently. And so like an Assassin's Creed game is being worked on and about to ship at the same time as another Assassin's Creed game might be six months or a year into development. And so if there are lessons to be learned, it's hard to course correct them. It's hard yeah. to steer a ship with a thousand people on it. You know, like I think that that's where yeah. it gets uh, kind of tricky, especially if it's skull and bones. Cause they don't know. I don't even know where that ship is steering. Uh, but I think that's where it gets kind of difficult. And I think that's where a smaller studio gets the sort of ability to be a little bit more nimble um, is if you look at, you know, not to keep bringing up sucker punch, but they're from what we know, solely focused on one game right now, one franchise. Um, and so I think it's easier for them to kind of adjust and ebb and flow based on what they like and what the audience likes and doesn't like. Whereas like, something like watchdogs like how far in that is into development is that alongside the new assassin's creed game and then they end up launching a week and a half from each other which is also like a week and a half from cyberpunk and all of a sudden you have this cluster f word you could probably say it doesn't matter about uh three different you know giant uh massive open world games competing at the same time and like when we we did the episode with Mitchell Saltzman, who played Assassin's Creed right after playing Ghost of Tsushima, and he was like that. I felt like it felt like whiplash, like going from the combat in Ghost to Assassin's Creed. And Max, you're one of the people that's played both. Like it's it's you know it's it's tough to kind of bounce around between those things. So like they can't really adjust a game of that size with that development studio of that caliber that quickly. Um, when there's so much at stake and there's so many people there, it's hard to really come in with creativity. And so you sort of see why like somebody comes in with this like revolutionary rogue new idea and it gets shot out of the sky by some like company figurehead who maybe hasn't even visited the studio in a year and a half. Like it's just too, it's everything is just too big, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's too many games out there and we're all playing some of them. Uh, so Brian, what are you playing these days? Uh, I'm just about done with Carrion, which um, is a uh, sort of 2D pixel art Metroidvania uh, where you play as the a monster that escaped from the lab. So it's sort of like a reverse horror game. You play as the bad guy. Um, I love this game. It has some of my favorite player movement uh, that I've ever experienced in a in a 2D game. Uh, you you're you're basically the creature from the thing, blood red, covered in tentacles and teeth. 
gnashing and big eyeballs and everything like that. And the more scientists, soldiers, and, and gunk you eat up, the bigger you get, and the grosser you get, and you get more powers and stuff like that. Um, I was madly in love with this game until the last hour or so. One of the biggest issues with this game, which wasn't really a problem for me until the very, very end, is that it lacks a map. There's no map. And so if you're, uh, if you're like yeah. me and you, and you play Metroidvania games, you love them and have been playing them your whole life, you know that like 100%ing that map is like a big part of it. Um, but it also, it exists to kind of nudge you along to the next place you need to go. Uh, I, I can't remember a game I played since Metroid 2 for the Game Boy that I was like this in love with, but also simultaneously this frustrated with I'm at the very, very end of this game. I probably have like one more door to go through and I'm not sure where it is. Oh, and no. so I'm just looping all over the map as this giant blood octopus. <laughs> There's nothing left to eat. Cause I've killed everyone. There's nothing left to do. And so I'm just like searching, searching, searching. Oh, that's, um, a, that's a bummer to hear. I'm also, I'm also playing this. I'm a little bit behind you, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely know that that is a problem where like games that don't have a map, like my logic was like, oh, you're like a giant pulsating blob of tentacles and like and bot like blood matter. Like, why would you have a map? Like, what would that be? You'd have like some sort of sonar, which you do. Um, but yeah, I think like I remember I, I never finished Fez because like that game kind of collapsed in the same way where you have a weird map in that game, but using it in an actual like uh, cart cartographical sense is like very it's it's not user-friendly you know it's more right. like an aesthetic choice and it's like occasionally you do need to backtrack and figure out where you're supposed to go so maps yeah, are I mean, useful I, like that i will say your your mileage may vary i still really recommend this game and i think that if i had just like made a right instead of a left towards the very end i might have just finished it and been like oh that's one of my favorite games in years um because I, I was so so close to just like declaratively saying this is a phenomenal a plus video game and now i'm kind of like a minus b plus and mm. that's kind of a bummer uh no i'm, I'm definitely yeah. digging that game too though it's also like i like that it's simple and it's short and it shuts up like it's compared to so yeah. many giant sprawling open world games mm -hmm. uh tom what are you playing uh i've been finally able to start playing controller games again after my arms kind of been hurting me the last month or so so i put about eight or nine hours into the last of us Two. finally 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 over this weekend um this is the first time i've played it like i literally been waiting i haven't been spoiled yet i'm very excited about it uh and i'm i'm really enjoying it man i mean I, i'm sure you guys have talked about this this little indie game called the last of us a lot <laughs> recently but like yeah i'm i'm just very happy to be into it and it's it's interesting to me how much it feels like riding a bike in terms of because i only played the first one for the first time like what uh, like say f four months ago something like that i right. can't remember anymore what is time yeah you're not you're not gonna forget how to ride a bike in four months definitely, <laughs> definitely. but it, it just feels like there's so much new about it but like it feels very very fun in a really cool appealing way um it feels like coming home a little bit in that regard and i'm just i'm just having a blast with it right now yeah i'm i'm actually i find that fascinating that you just played the first one a few months ago um because i think that like I think that removed a lot of the sort of expectations that I think people kind of built up in their brains over years over what they wanted to see and what they wanted, what they wanted from those characters. And I don't right. blame them for that because, you know, obviously people, people, I, I feel like they, people feel a sort of sense of ownership over characters that they controlled and spend 
20, 30, 40, 50 hours with, depending on how many times they played through the game. And so obviously, you know, sequels are difficult because there's always going to be expectations. I mean, if you look at the the sort of critical reaction to Empire Strikes Back when it first came out, which wildly deviated from the original in many, many ways, um, it was kind of split. And so that said, I think it's if if you played through the first nine hours and you're loving it, then you've already pushed past a lot of the stuff that um, I think people didn't like about it. And yeah, really? so, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, people... I've been avoiding, uh, apart from Jonathan's review, like, and, and like another, uh, with a couple other reviews here and there, like, I've really been avoiding, like, the conversation, because I just don't want to get spoiled. Mm-hmm. And, like, nothing in the game so far has stuck out to me as, like, uh, offensive, but also nothing in the game has stuck out to me as, like, I, I don't know, like super, super crazy, amazing new, right? Like it just mm. feels like a really good follow up to the, a game I really, really liked. Um, to the point where even like, like I really liked the open world stuff. It, it didn't kind of overstay its welcome. Although Me I think there might be more. Like I don't really know, right? Like it just, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think Naughty Dog kind of came closest to finding the secret sauce on their sort of like, um, you know, foray into open world exploration. Yeah. Uh, in this game and i think it's it it did something that some of my favorite open ish world games do which is like funnel you through specific areas but then also give you like little air larger areas to play around in for a little while i think yeah. that's great i think uncharted 4 didn't really nail that correctly um the world no, was gorgeous it, and it was big legacy did a great job with it yes but, and this this feels like a this felt like a good kind of like follow-up to that mm-hmm. although fundamentally i don't really like the idea, I don't know. I, that's another conversation we can have. Time, but I, the one thing that annoys me about Naughty Dog's open worlds is that it then trains you to check every single corner of every single space. And like, there's not always a ton of reason to once you leave yeah. that open world area. So that's like the one thing that I don't like about that design conceptually, but I still mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yeah, no, I totally get that as I, I, I was kind of at odds with that too, but then on the flip side, like Resident Evil 4 is one of my favorite games and I'm the idiot that runs in every room and knifes every box and every barrel right. and like, you know, how you play. quick turning, picking up every dollar bill off the floor. <laughs> yeah, I um, I tried to get into Last of Us and it just didn't, it didn't hook me and I like completely recognize it as like a really well-made video game and I'd like, I appreciate it. It's just like, I don't know. I just, it was like, it was like when you, when you're, you don't want to eat your favorite food, you know, like you're just like, yeah. ah, I don't, you know, and it, no, I feel I mean, that. yeah, I, it, well, this is, this is really quickly. This is the really funny thing to me. When I played the first last of us way, way back when it came out, it was too like dark and like oppressive. And I know that was what it was going for, but like, I just like, wasn't enjoying it, which is why it mm-hmm. took me so long to actually play through the full game. But like now <laughs> playing last of us two, after having just played through the last of us, like, I hear, I heard all these people being like, man, this game is so depressing. This game is so hard. It's so gory and brutal. And I'm like nine hours into it. I'm like, yeah, this is just like what the first one was. Like this right. is like my expectations are totally in line for what this was going to be. And it's like, none of that is bothering me. In yeah. The slightest. Yeah. I also I, like, I, I, I mean, will I, get, I will get totally burnt out on something if there's just too much discourse around it. Like I'll just get, like, I remember just, I always think of, um, this is a, this is a, this is a weird comparison. Uh, the 2003 Hulk movie with directed by Ang Lee with Eric Bana, <laughs> not a, not really a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. I just remember like by the time I saw it, I was like sick of the branding because it was on cereal boxes. It was on toys. It was everywhere. And I just was like, 
it was like i think like star wars episode one had a similar thing where there was just this this like inundation of just this this sort of aesthetic everywhere and this this like just sort of being too aware of it and there was no sense of it being like this new discovery and we talked about like the first last of us was such like a you know insane kind of gut punch because it was uh you know it came sort of hot on the tail of like a bunch of like just a lot of zombie stuff but it was it was doing enough of its own thing and it was it was kind of it was totally singular uh but it was also a surprise and then this time around it's like well it's the last of us part two it's full of surprises it's got new stuff in there but no matter what it's doing it's still more the last of us you know and apparently the last of us wasn't the last of them because there's more of them but you know i don't know you know it's a weird it's just a hey check out final fantasy <laughs> yeah um, yeah no there you no. go so interesting thing about this uh it was revealed recently that um just a few days ago that the last of us part two has a 50 percent completion rate from players which is insane like to put that in perspective that is one of the highest completion rates for a single player game uh pretty much ever like that's Hmm. that's kind of unheard of especially for a game that you know borders on 20 25 hours um and also like if you looked at the discourse online you would think is one of the most divisive video games ever made i I honestly think a lot of that is is you know when you remove you know people like us being like 10 out of 10 best thing ever and then other people being like zero out of 10 i hate it what you get is a lot of just average consumers who go in and they're like, wow, that was, that was cool. I think it's, I mean, I think it's, it's this interesting balance of like being a really good video game. That's also really accessible, both in terms of like what the subject matter is, what the stakes are, how to play it. Like it's not overly complicated or like stupidly obtuse. Uh, It's got a ton of actual accessibility options. uh, And it's like just that right balance of like, here's, here's a movie and here's gameplay. And I think people who are like super into like weird new emergent gameplay systems are like, this is this is too rudimentary, but you take somebody who doesn't play every brand new massive AAA open world game or, or isn't like, you know, ride or die for FromSoft and like getting their, you know, getting their ass kicked. Like m- maybe it's like just the right amount of like, oh, yeah, I can I can get into this. Um, like I've uh, like I've recommended The Last of Us to like in-laws, you know, where they're like, oh, you, you know about video games. Like what's like a good what's a cool new thing I should play? And I'm like, you play The Last of Us because it's like one of the best games of the last 10 years. They're like, mm-hmm. I'll check it out. And then. Like my wife doesn't like she plays games here and there. Like she loved the first Last of Us. Uh, she burned through this one and she gets like horribly motion sick. But she was playing it with like that weird contrast mode, which helped a ton. And she was super happy about it. And like just in the first like ten minutes of the game, she was like, "Oh my god, look at that snow!" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I, I that snow's pretty good." But they had the same snow in like God of War and Horizon <laughs> Zero Dawn and Death Stranding. And then I was like, "Oh, I'm insufferable." <laughs> like, like if you don't play every single game that comes out like this is probably an exciting new thing that's like way course, easier to be yeah yeah and i mean that's it, you know that's uh, i mean they, they they put crazy ad dollars behind it too i mean so you could see commercials for this thing uh, everywhere and so i will say too and i've been saying this a lot the, it gameplay wise it's pretty straightforward if you want it to be but there is a ton of room for crazy creativity and combat in this game and stealth and just the way you handle conflicts. Um, I don't know if you guys follow that dude, Sunhi legend on Twitter. He's basically like a mastermind at clipping out just incredible, impeccable high level gameplay gifts. 
Uh, he's he's going through uh, Ghost of Tsushima right now. Sucker Punch hooked him up with an, like an early copy to just let him just really go to town. And like I walked to that game being like, I'm awesome at this game. I plat you know platinum it, and like I'm, yeah, we nailed it. Awesome, great, I'm great. And then I watched his videos and like I didn't even know you could do that. Like he's doing stuff like we'll jump kick a guy in the air, shoot three arrows, bullet time, throw a smoke bomb at another guy, land and like slip three throats. And I'm like, what? really Damn. so yeah he was doing stuff in the last of us that i'm like i didn't even know you could get the drop on dudes from like a higher level and like there's all this stuff that he's doing so yeah follow him and yeah if, nice. if you play through that game and you're you're just kind of like throwing bricks and shooting guns uh poke around and get a little get a little creative with it i think i think that multiplayer is going to be really fascinating because there's like there's a lot there's a lot of systems at play at play there and i think they're going to pull out some really cool shit hmm Anyway, we've been going a little bit long here, but uh, thank you for joining us. You can find us all on Twitter. I'm Max Scoville. Brian is Agent Bizzle, and Tom is Tom R. Marks. Is that right? Yep. What's the R for? I can't tell you. That's been a mystery. If I if I told Tom you the registered word, trade marks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, thank you all for joining. <laughs> I got a chuckle that, out of you. That's so good. We've been doing this stupid bit where we try to come up with his name, and the audience is so sick of it. They're like, I don't, I don't want to hear about the R anymore. But you just put new life in it. It's like the best part is it's not a secret at all. You could like probably anybody with Google in five minutes could find out. <laughs> it's okay. Tom yeah, but I mean, we're not straight that. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, Jonathan's back. He can clean up this mess. Um, I'm sorry if my brain's leaking out. You did out my good. Ears. Shut we, up. We, we, it's fine. I, I'm just. We just good. did. Come, we did Comic Con all weekend. I'm tired. I want to take a nap. So your anyway. sharpest attack. You know what you're sharpest doing? attack. Get nap. <laughs> <laughs> if you want more of me and Brian being extra stupid, we're going to be doing a very stupid up at noon on Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific uh, this week, where we talk about toys. Dolls, collectibles, figurines, action figures, and oh little yeah, tiny totems. And that will be right after I'm I'm hosting like a four hour long celebrity charity live stream uh, in Animal Crossing, uh, which <laughs> I understand is not a PlayStation game, but I'm visiting several people who are PlayStation adjacent, such as Greg Miller and Laura Bailey, who was in The Last of Us. And Greg Miller was not in the, he was probably in The Last of Us. He's probably one of the shirtless zombies dead in the <laughs> ditch somewhere, <laughs> something like that. Um, but yeah. I, th I think Tom, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Good, Tom. Is there anything you've been working on you want to share? No. Nope. Oh, well. All right then. We'll let you go about your business then. Thank you for for joining us. And uh, yeah, that's that's the end of the show. It is over now. The end. End is it's over. Beyond. Goodbye. Beyond. Hey, folks. I'm Yen. And I'm Nat. And we're the hosts of Comic Sans, the podcast about comics for those who are sans knowledge. Comic Sans is a show for people who know nothing about comics, like me. And people who love them, like me, and want to learn more about them. What makes you an authority on comic books? I read them, write them, live them, breathe them. What makes you the authority on knowing nothing? Honestly, Yen, two seasons in, I actually know a little more than I used to. You're welcome. The reason for that is that every episode, I make Nat read one of my favorite comics, like Daredevil Saga or This One Summer. And then he tells me what makes that comic so special. And then I hear what Nat thinks, and I try to avoid a pulmonary embolism. While I actively try to give him one. You can listen to the second season of Comic Sans now. With new episodes every two weeks. Wherever you get your podcasts. You know, Yen, I think I know so much about comics now that this might have to be our last season. Nat, there will forever be more comic than you will ever know. What does that even mean? I don't know, it sounds profound though. Right?